Thank you for listening to the Highlander Podcast, where we have conversations about the past, present, and future of the outdoor industry. Thanks to Utah State University's Outdoor Product Design and Development Program for making it possible and for training the future product leaders of the outdoor industry. Learn more about the program at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, Jameis Taylor, founder and creative director of Greater Goods, talks to students about his pathway into the world of product design and the upside as well as limitations of upcycling. Thanks so much. And yeah, an honor to be here. Um, it's, I only graduated a few years ago now, so it's amazing to come full circle um, and chat to you guys, all studying a course that I, I wish I'd done, um, as I'll explain in my little uh, presentation. Um, but yeah, let me just get going and start sharing. Um, can give a, a rundown on how everything began at Greater Goods. Let me just share the right screen. And also, I've, I've got like a sore throat today, so if my voice does crack or break, you're definitely allowed to laugh. Okay, can everyone see? Okay, perfect. I'm not going to go full screen because it never really works. I've had a lot of problems with that. Um, but yeah, bit of an intro. My name is Jameis. I'm 25 and I'm born and raised in London, UK, which is like a very dense city, um, a lot going on, not much green space, but there's a big focus on creativity, design, whatever you want to be, it can be done in London. Um, so I've always come from a creative background. Uh, growing up, I was illustrating a lot and drawing a lot. Um, and it was my primary focus was being creative and making things no matter what. Um, I kind of lived in a normal household. My background and my parents and everything were just admin jobs. Uh, my dad was a, a sports coach back in the day. So there was no creative uh, element within the family, but we were always encouraged to be creative. Um, so yeah, brief timeline on my background. I've jumped around a bit. Um, but it's all within that creative sector. So 2000, 2016, I've always just been drawing. Um, that was more of a hobby as like a, a pastime in the evenings. So I think on my personal Instagram account, it was all drawings. I was sharing everything I was doing. I was doing like a sketchbook drawing a day just to practice and get better. And then I had to think about my career and like, what was I going to go into? Um, I come from an Indian background, so the, the typical role is doctor, accountants, that kind of thing, more academic, but I knew that wasn't going to be for me no matter what. So I thought, let me take the graphic design route, um, and I actually didn't really know what graphic design even meant when I joined the course. Um, but as it progressed, I kind of learned that it's very flexible. It can be illustration, it could be layout design, it could even be woodwork and carpentry. It's all about communication, and that's the main aspect I learned from that. 
Um, and then once I graduated from graphic design, um, I realized I was more hands-on. I loved making things. Um, I even often skipped the theory and designing stage and just went straight into making. Um, so no prototyping, just straight into the end product. Um, and then from Carpentry, I jumped into textiles, which was when I just bought my first sewing machine. So I started sewing January 1st, 2019, um, and it was a New Year's resolution. So I bought a, a sewing machine um, and just got going with it. My second name is Taylor. So I thought, let me try and make that whole uh, and live up to my name quite literally. So yeah, here's a few sketches I used to do back in my earlier days. It's very different from what you might know me as greater goods now. Um, but this sketching ability, I realized was a key factor in how everything began. It made me able to communicate ideas just visually. I didn't have to explain my ideas much. I could literally draw something out and show people and the idea is um, easily conveyed to anyone. Um, then went into graphic design, which is what I studied at university. That's where I learned my Photoshop abilities, illustrator abilities, photographing, retouching, a bit of Premiere Pro. Basically, the whole Adobe suite was my primary focus. Um, I really loved print. I loved, again, physical mediums. I wasn't too much of a on-screen wizard. I was more printed out in my hands. Let me make something like that. Um, so book layouts, I really loved InDesign, which is my go-to like software for layouts. Um, then carpentry. So I graduated from university, was a bit lost. Um, I was living at my mom's house and she had a tiny garden. Um, so I built a shed, uh, a little woodwork um, office, I would say is a, a bit of an overstatement, but it was, just, it was something where I could work from. Um, and this is when like actually Greater Goods began. I might tap in on this later on, but Greater Goods was a carpentry woodwork uh, project. Um, so everything here was made from scrap wood. So the headboard you can see on the left is old pallet wood um, that was found in my local area. So it didn't cost anything to produce. The middle stool in the middle is uh, off cuts from a wood joinery. So they do framing for windows, for artwork and for paintings. So again, didn't cost me a penny to make. And the last like crazy funky, funky looking table is a my end of year graphic design piece. And you're probably wondering there's no graphic design in there. But I managed to persuade my tutors into understanding it um, and putting a bit of typography along the edges, which they loved. So it worked out uh, pretty well. So that cost me like £10 to make. Um, so it was all a very affordable process. And just using old bits of wood um, just felt correct to me. It saved me money. The materials are being discarded. Um, so it's always just been a very normal process for me to use old things. It's a lot less in intimidating as well because it's not a blank canvas. Um, again, I'll probably go into that further down the line. Um, and then the object on the left is like, a, again, stool made from offcuts from the joinery. Um, the laptop in the middle is my end of year thesis at university. Um, we had to display our thesis in a very physical way. And I was like, okay, woodwork as my go-to. So I made a, a replica of my MacBook out of, again, wood offcuts. Um, and then the print document on the screen is like a, a booklet document that you can take out. I done terrible in my dissertation. Um, I got a D grade, which is like very bad, um, but I done well at the other aspects. So that was all I was focusing on really. Uh, and the dice at the bottom is offcuts from pallet blocks hammered in with nails and the red strap is from a, I think a Uniglo bag 
um i've actually got in my studio space just above like my door now as a reminder of how like simple and easy things can be um so yeah once graduating i started the greater goods instagram account which was the woodwork and carpentry and the image on the right was a stamp that i stamped all my creations with um so yeah made from 100% reclaimed wood was my little slogan tagline that wasn't very good um and again it was all localized so everything i was producing was found in my local area primarily because i don't drive but i kind of add that on as a little that's the reason um but it was all in my local area and i'd carry it home i remember i'd go out to drinking and like pub culture is quite big in london so often would go out in the evening go grab a drink and on the way back if i saw something um just pick it up and carry it home and often i'd carry home like big scaffolding boards just to make benches and things from um so yeah it was all found in my local area and i'd sell it back to my local area so i'd put it on the instagram account um and then anyone that reached out and they wanted to buy it then they would purchase it i took like strong pride in how i photograph things and used my graphic design skills in that presentation um so just after uni i was freelancing in the graphic space i was doing jobs here and there learning what i could and then taking that home and then using those skills in greater goods and that's how i could greater goods is a one man operation so i kind of have to manage a lot of different things and learn the skills in those different things and this was a video that i i wanted funding from my university to take greater goods um further down the line when i graduated so they had this um funding scheme um it was about 5000 pounds so i don't know the conversion but say like 6000 um and it was to any new business startup and i had to make a video and just i i was digging through what i could put in this presentation and i just remembered making this and thought it would be great to show and yeah so that was that's the, probably the best demonstration of my process back in 2019 um when i was making a few collections from my bedroom using what i had so that machine was my new year's resolution um i think it cost me say 200 and and it was a great investment um so everything i was purchasing i always made sure it was an investment in myself so i knew after graduating from uni i had to build these this realm that i could work with in textiles graphics photography i knew i had to be a jack of all trades in a way if i was going to build my own little project from it um and now my thing is blocked because of the video square so i'm going to have to reopen this sorry about that Let's catch up. Okay, there we go. So yeah, from that point, um I've kind of kept the way I've worked very similar. I'm in my studio space currently, it's just me. Um but I've been fortunate enough to resonate with a lot of brands who have approached me and I've worked on collections with these brands and you'll see there's a a big range of brands in there. So got Wyden and Kennedy's which is a graphics agency. Um Echo Leather which focuses on leathers we have um Heisner Bite which is a platform um Converse which is primarily shoe shoes and footwear so it's great goods hasn't been pigeonholed which is my main focus um developing the brand or the project i often associate great goods as a project um just in the sense of how flexible it is and there's no real brand guideline often when you're approached by a brand or you're developing a brand you create a guideline which kind of fleshes out what you focus on and everything you do but i purposely haven't built one just to have this flexibility and i don't have to wake up every morning trying to focus on the same thing um which has turned out to be absolute chaos but in the same way is really good fun 
so yeah, and the textiles and everything we've worked on since then. I say we because my partner often helps out in the process. She's a great knitter. So we often implement knitting elements. Um, so yeah, the project with Arcteryx, I took apart some old jackets that they had. Um, and this design came about on just replacing the parts that are damaged on their jackets. So the zips, the hems, um, and this created this Nuragi kimono kind of style shape. Um, and then produce some bags. I often want to tap into the graphic side of my career. And so for the first and second Dr. X project, I produced a newspaper. Um, and from that, I hired friends I studied with. So that was a nice way to support people around me. Um, and that project also supported a bird watching collective I was part of, um, which is about people of color being in nature. And it resonated very strongly with me. Um, so it was amazing to have that project that I could support myself but also the people around me um, and on the, the crazy graphic on the right is a table graphic i made for the in-store setup um, so that project was products uh, graphics lookbook photography again it was a, a full 360 kind of project um, and yeah just some other creations i've worked on so i've made some deck chairs that was just for the fun of it a personal piece um, got knitwear, so my girlfriend, that's kind of her project. Uh, I saw she was an amazing knitter. Um, she, she's a psychologist, so she has no like creative like background, but I knew her pieces were amazing, so I'd love to like support her and I put her pieces on the platform. Um, collection with Nike, which she was using old ch uh, children's tracksuits that had been discarded on customer returns. Um, a few denim pieces I've made. Um, got some Osprey bottle bags there, which were made from cut samples often samples and things by brand have to be destroyed so there's a lot of stuff that's just purposely damaged um, which is crazy but it happens sadly um, and then all these offcuts i then put into the pair of air max in the top right so i got approached by this um, sneaker school uh, and i had an idea of using offcuts from every project i'd worked on in that year pretty much into one piece of footwear um you'll see i'm a crazy hoarder and like i keep everything um which is further down in this presentation but i recommend it because it's a great way of working and yeah just some other more pieces so i've worked on t-shirt graphics for a company called good, good measure who made like incredibly well-made locally sourced tees and sweats we've done a small run of that um worked with some duck canvas like these were uh, worn out boiler suits by carhartt I also developed some designs for Echo Leather, um, which was amazing. And seeing their new technologies they're working on, they've got leathers that are, are made out of mycelium. So it's like fully sustainable, can be grown into any shape. Um, so this is great to see some new technologies and like how the future of fabrics can develop. Um, the bag on the right is a patchwork of all the small offcuts from a collection I've done with Story MFG. So all their stuff is um, naturally dyed. Um, crazy fabrics. So I was handling that and the dye was literally bleeding onto my fingers and sewing machine, but it was, again, good fun to work on. Um, and the, the photo of me sewing, that was a, a workshop we worked on. So my main focus now is to teach people what I've learned um, and seeing if I can inspire more people to create things on a small scale. Um, it's not intimidating if you do what I've done and purchase the machine. Um, I feel like anyone can do what I've done. Um, and this is how I kind of like approach things from the very beginning the main focus for me wasn't to be sustainable from the get-go it was almost to be creative first use the things that are around me work on a small scale 
And often using what you have around you is ironically sustainable because you're using things that you have access to. Um, and that's how I began. So the, the byproduct of creativity for me was a sustainable aspect. Um, so on the left was my North Face jacket. So there was a big trend when I was 18. Um, everyone was buying North Face jackets. It's a, a bit of a street style thing. I'm very much a city kid. Um, and that was a thing. And it was a, a great piece I purchased. I, it was the most expensive jacket I bought. It wasn't even that expensive. But for me at the time, it was very much. Um, and I tried to list it on eBay and no one really wanted it. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm learning to make bags and sew. Let me try and use that product in my sewing. Um, and it's a great way to begin making things because you have all these elements that are, in theory, already made for you. You have pockets, zips, all the hardware you can use, where if you're going to source them yourself, it might be quite pricey and there might be a minimum order you have to purchase for certain bits of hardware. Um, so yeah, that's how the sustainable aspect of greater goods kind of is a big by byproduct and just the way I enjoy working. So yeah, the upcycling thing, it's when I say I'm a hoarder, I keep everything. So the box on the left, I've never purchased a zip. So these are just things I've picked up over the years um, from fleeces, Gore-Tex jackets, um, anything I can find really. And then the box in the middle is all webbing uh, and the box on the right, that's all the cuff um, Velcros from Gore-Tex jackets. I don't know what I'm going to use them for, but it felt like a shame to throw them away. Um, and this is like a good process I recommend everyone to do. It's a, it's a bit of chaos storing everything. <clears throat> Sorry, my throat's kicking in there. It's, yeah, it's a lot of storage solutions, but it's nice knowing you have something. I'd rather have it and not use it than not have it and need it. So that's always been my approach. Um, and if I can keep myself organized, then I know where everything is and I can find a zip for the perfect project. Um, and how I sourced all this from the beginning was I was just going on Depop, eBay, um, family and friends are also very supportive and they would donate stuff. Or if I was looking for a jacket on online, I'd often just typed in damaged jacket or like damaged outerwear or just looking around online. I think, um, access to information and selling platforms and marketing marketplaces are very wide. Um, so whatever you're looking for, you possibly can find. Um, and I'd buy any old jackets that had like damaged zips and then dissect them all, take all the components from it and then store them in either plastic bags or just under my bed or wherever I could fit them really. So yeah, my way of working is I take old products, um, make a key product from that, which is usually the larger items. And then progressively with the offcuts, I then take those to smaller products. Um, often within upcycling, I've seen this a lot myself personally, a lot of people would use only elements of garments, which is, which is great because it's using discarded garments, but I always wonder what's happening to the rest of the product. Um, so you have a jacket and you only use the arm, you have all that rest of the jacket. You have zip hardware there, Velcros. So my main thing is using every single piece of the jacket or as much as I physically can. Um, and I found a great way of doing that is producing the big product and then taking the small offcuts and then producing a smaller product till there's nothing left. Um, so I'm kind of known for making these bottle bag holders now, which are just produced from the small offcuts from, say, the Arcteryx project. Or if I've done another large project, there'll be these small offcuts, which I can't do anything with. Um, so each bottle bag is almost a collection of 10 plus different products, which is great visually as well, because you have this crazy rainbow of colors. 
Um, and my way of designing those is very random. So every single one is totally different. That's just by the process. That's not my choice, but that's just the way it's done. It's almost like a, a random generation of um, ideas and patterns, which is great. So yeah, my process, which I found has been the most effective to me, um, is just a simple like five-step process of sourcing materials. Um, I say materials, but this is mostly always just sourcing products and garments or what I'm going to take apart. Um, and then that this always influences the next step. So say if I found a jacket, I have to think about what I'm able to create that into, um, what components and hardware it has, and that will affect my research. So I would look for certain styles of bags or certain styles of jackets I'm going to turn this into. Um, this sketch um, stage, I often skip. If I'm working for myself or I'm making a personal piece, I often... It's probably bad to say, but I often skip the sketching stage because I I rather just go straight into it um, and start prototyping and messing around. But if I need to show the idea to someone or develop it further, or if it's really complex, I'll then just take my sketchbook out and start sketching. And also, this is a great way to um, show, say, if ever someone stole your idea, sketches are a great thing to fall back on and show that you had proof of designing it first. That's just something I've learned. Um, by my lawyer but I thought it was a good bit of information so now I tried to sketch everything just in case and then from that I'd prototype um, whether that's with calico or cheap fabric or other offcuts whatever I can find often I would use uh, calico which is like a cotton blend and then from those prototypes I then make I then make sure I reuse those prototypes in the linings of the bottle bag um, so I tried to use all of the scraps I use. Otherwise, I end up with a, a massive load of calico prototypes just sitting there. Um, and then from that, if I'm feeling comfortable and ready, I'll then go into the final outcome or final product. Um, and in that, I try to make sure I've fleshed out everything I'm going to add to the, the bag or the product um, so there's no hiccups along the way. But often, I'll be making the end piece and I'll be like, hey, maybe this toggle or this element can fit in this seam and I'll add it in. So it's not a solid concrete um, routine or sequence I follow. So yeah, sourcing materials, I touched on it before. Um, previously, I was purchasing, purchasing things online or being donated by friends and family. Um, but unfortunately, when brands got involved, I was amazed at how much stuff they have. Um, it's, it's crazy to imagine, but an outdoor company would probably have a warehouse full of damaged products. Um, so I've been fortunate enough to work with Arcterix, who send up all these destroyed uh, jackets mainly um, that I can tell have been heavily skied in. Often I'll open a pocket and there'll be like a ski pass in there from uh, all over the world, really. And it's amazing to hear where that jacket's been around the world it's, and somehow ended up in my tiny studio um, in North London. Um, but then I work on like a dissecting process again. So just cutting up the the jacket reverse engineering it so i'm sure you guys are familiar with pattern pieces so i would literally cut down the pattern lines so you end up with all these flat panels um, which is the best way of working with the jacket um, all the small details the zips velcro labels again i roughly cut them out and then put them to one side and then when i get time i'll then go back to those and then trim them down further it's a very time consuming process i do touch on the pros and cons of upcycling in this um, presentation as well um, but it is very, very time consuming. Often a day would be spent just getting the fabrics and products ready to start sewing and making. So yeah, the next stage is research. Um, there's so much online and there's so many like visual ideas and like um, 
printed images. You guys have access to the, the crazy archives that was on your doorstep. Um, but for me personally, just like speed and ease of use, online is my go-to. Um, there's a lot of great people like selling vintage products and bags and accessories. So I often go on Instagram, start screen capping. Um, I'm also a big fan of Tumblr. I know no one's really a fan of that nowadays, but for me, I don't know, it works really well if you follow the right accounts. Uh, Pinterest is also great. I just haven't got around to using that properly. Um, so for this example, I was focusing on this military kind of style bag. Um, so I was just putting references from everywhere. Ideally, like these military helmet style bags. And then sketches. I can't actually find a sketch of the bag I was making in this. I, again, I sometimes skip that stage. But here's some examples of a more detailed one. So the one on the left was to show someone else. So I, I put the extra effort in. Um, and then the one on the right is for me. And you can see how like terrible it is. It's often just a, a biro and a few lines dotted around um, with the red marker pen highlighting where I'm putting 3M reflective cord. Um, so it's just for me to quickly reference back to just like get it out of my head and onto paper. I really recommend these dotted sketchbooks. As you can see, I sometimes don't really use the dots, but when you use them properly, it is really good. Um, and I find like sketching for me sometimes is I come from that like more detailed sketchbook kind of layout or way of drawing. But when it comes to designing, I'd rather be quick and rough. Um, it's just a way I found I, I, I'd rather spend more time making than drawing out and sketching idea, the idea. Um, but I feel like it should be the other way around. I've just made a mistake somewhere down my like textiles line. And then prototyping again. So like Calico is my go-to. Um, so I often make a rough pattern piece and then draw directly on the, the product. Um, it's quite funny because I have no fashion background. So this is probably all really common sense, but I've kind of had to learn it's all backwards, all through YouTube, um, just figuring out what works best for me. And I think that's the key thing to like take in, especially if you're studying, you're often taught a way of how to do things. But if it doesn't suit you or if you found a way personally that works better for you, um, then always go with that. Um, I found for me personally, I learned things like in my graphic course. Um, say my tutors were more into a traditional way of design and I was into a, another way of design. I'd often just conflict with them, be like, look, I'm going to go for this. And the end outcome, it turned out to be better because I had all my, all my heart into the project. Um, so this way of working works perfect for me. So then on the, the right is my calico like graveyard of prototypes. So I'd then take those, cut them up again, and then use those as linings for other products or just keep using them again and again because they serve no purpose after you've produced the final product. So yeah, this is the final outcome. So this is a, an old Arcteryx jacket or multiple, I think. It's probably like two or three in there. Um, so yeah, you can kind of see how the prototype kind of didn't change too much. Um, I think I added, yeah, the toggle draw cord at the bottom. Um, inserted a few labels, added the, the zip closure on the top um, and the sling. So often upcycling is you're, you're limited in what you can make because the, the garment has patterns, uh, different colors. The shape, is, the shape is totally up to you, but you're limited. Every fabric is different. Um, so this has a lot of like three-layer um, nylons and waterproofs, but they all behave differently in a certain way, which is... I think just like the beauty of upcycling, it does set that brief. It does have limitations. So yeah, the pros of upcycling. This is what I found just doing greater goods and working with these products is again, it sets a brief limitations. They can be good. 
Um, I find blank canvases and like clean sheets of paper intimidating. I don't know where to start. Um, so it's often quite nice being given a product and then thinking how you can rework it. Um, and pros of that, it can be cheap. If you get given a jacket or someone's donated something or often just walking in my local area, people just have things thrown out like on their front wall of their house. Again, it's another way of city living where things are a bit messy, but like I could find products quite easily. Um, again, those products have lots of components and hardware, so I don't have to purchase a zip, um, elastic or toggles or Velcro. It's all in that jacket. Um, you're using a discarded product. It's going to be thrown away. It's essentially going to waste. Um, so there's nothing best than breathing new life into it and keeping it in circulation. Um, and upcycling, every piece is unique. I, I've never created the same piece twice, and that, that's not by choice. That's just purely because I can't. Um, I can't get the same product again and make it exactly the same way with the same colors. Um, in terms of the design, I can, so that the pattern and layout, but there's going to be paneling within that pattern piece because it's all quilted together almost. That makes each one unique, which is almost a selling point in a way. Um, and another element is sometimes the jackets have imperfections. So um, there's a lot of brands that do like focusing on that worn and wear kind of style. Um, so I've always loved imperfections. And that kind of stems from my woodwork days where like a wood will have a, a scratch in there or not. Um, and often knots in woodwork are a bad thing because it like blunts your saw blade or it tears the wood out. But I always like the look of it. And that's kind of translated in textiles where a lot of the jackets I used are used in skiing. Um, and they have tears, like burn marks, all sorts. Um, but for me, that's carrying a story in that product that carries down the line. And then the downsides of upcycling. Again, the limitations, it can be a negative. Um, maybe you do just want a blank canvas to work with, um, but often using a jacket or other products, it, you can't. It does create limitations. On the flip side, it can be expensive. So you might not get a lot out of one garment. Um, say you bought a damaged jacket for £10, $20, and then you, it, you don't get a lot out of it. It turns out it's absolutely ruined. Um, then it's expensive. You wasted that money. Uh, the hard, the scale aspects are always coming up with me. It's often hard to produce loads or make things repeated again. So scaling is really tricky, but that just depends on how you approach it. Um, and time consuming. I've touched on this before, but it's almost double the amount of work. You have to take things apart um, and then ironically put them back together almost. So you're doubling your time on spent on one product. Um Hard to replicate styles. This kind of touches into like the scale and repeatability. Um, you have to kind of embrace the one-on-one -on -one unique aspect. Um, and then linked with that is imperfection. Some people not, might not like them or it might be a weakness in the product. Um, so you have to make sure things are, are functional. I always focus on that. Like upcycling, it does have a, a perception of being just very creative in a sense that it's not even usable, which is fine. But for me, I love my stuff to be usable and have that kind of element um, and my way of working is like the product is just like the first hurdle for me um, I always think about how I'm going to photograph it how I'm going to retouch it am I going to produce some graphic assets for it am I going to make a lookbook um, how am I going to share it will I produce some video content from it I think it's very much now in the days of like sharing and getting your work out there is another ball game um, I see some amazing creations and people make some amazing stuff like far beyond what I can make. 
but it's often never presented in the right way, um, which is a shame because the, the product and everything is so good, but they've just fallen at that last hurdle of communicating their idea. Um, so I worked in a clothing shop. I was freelancing um, and I kind of learned how to take flat photos. Um, so the photograph of this uh, vest, I photographed myself and um, retouched on Photoshop. But it just gives you the ability to cleanly present things and accurately present things. Um, so often greater goods is perceived to be a lot bigger than it is, which is often good and bad. But that's kind of just the way I present things is very clean um, and stylized. So yeah, I kind of put the Arcturus project in here because it's kind of the full 360 um, project I've worked on and just the most fun, to be honest. I think Dom is speaking next week, so this kind of ties in. Um, so again, used a bunch of jackets um, to produce a collection. Um, and I made these like cut jackets, which are basically removing the damaged part of the jacket and just like transplanting another piece on. Um, and a lot of people are like, I can do that myself. And my answer was like, amazing, do it. Um, I, I kind of showcase things that I can do, anyone else can do. I kind of always talk about that. It started in my bedroom with a sewing machine. Um, and I still could be doing that quite easily just in my bedroom. Um, so it's a very easy process. I always recommend people to get into upcycling just because the entry is so easy. Um, so from those products, I've then, from the jackets, I then took the offcuts into the tote bags. Um, so they're just a crazy patchwork of all different colors and then smaller offcuts then go into the bottle bags. So on the, the project, I was like, let me shoot the, the lookbook as well. Um, so I, this project was supporting the people of color bird watching group I was part of. So I messaged the, the guys that run it, Ollie. Um, he's a creative director himself. And I was like, can you handle the lookbook? Um, took the weight off my shoulders and it also supported them, which was great. Um, so everyone involved was like part of like the whole project and was all supporting each other. Yeah, these are just all the pieces. I just got my friend to come over. Um, we shot this in my studio with like a paper backdrop um, just to show all the pieces. And like, I think, again, and how you represent things and how you show things is also important. Um, so always push it. It's the product. It's, the, it's not the final hurdle. It's more after that is how I always view things. Again, I tapped into my graphic side. I produced a newspaper. Um, this was during like, peak covid so i had to take these photos on like a self timer um but that's just the way things go um and then yeah so i made these visuals produced a newspaper um and there was more in that newspaper there was just like process photos um full lookbook and then i also made a guide on how to make your own jacket like i drew out the step by step on basically what i've done so other people can do it at home um so yeah that was kind of my full approach on that uh, I think it's my final slide, but it's just kind of recommendations that have like really helped me um, and just learning things as well. I think online is such a good resource. I wish I was doing the course you guys are doing. It just doesn't exist here in London. Um, and back then I was drawing, so I don't think I'd gone into design or like physically making things. Um, but Xenia, fun Functional Clothing Lab, is one of the most like amazing people I've met. I feel like she's heavily underrated and she's, she gives out a lot of information um on her blog uh, just follow her on instagram just type in that name on her blog she has a huge list of places you can buy things she's done some video tutorials um i've worked with her on a project and i've never met anyone so geeky about technical fabrics and like she whipped out spreadsheets and started prototyping before any of us had begun 
Um, yeah, just an cr- incredible designer. Um, and Tom Sachs is a big inspiration of mine. I kind of, it, it influences the DIY aesthetic that Greater Goods has. It's very um, analog. And I've always loved his work growing up. I've got a few of his books. He's the one person I've met him once and I, I choked up. I couldn't say anything. And I regret that now. Um, but he has a TED talk, um, which is really good. And it's about finding your own voice um, and just being a creative person, and like developing on that. Um, I'm, I think you've probably all read this book maybe, but Let My People Go Surfing is amazing. I think I'm on the last few pages of it now, but it kind of just is a blueprint for starting your own business or like, having core values and foundations from the get-go. Um, a lot of brands now, I feel like a backtracking, which is great because it's like, it needs to happen. But Patagonia reading this book, it kind of showed me that it was, had the correct ethos and ethics from the very beginning, um, which is amazing to see in such a time. Um, and I think, yeah, that's it. Thank you guys. Um, hopefully I didn't rush through all that. Um, but I, I'd open the floor to any questions. Um, and yeah, I think that's everything. What is your camera and light setup for most of your lookbook photos? I can show you. Okay, I've got... It's just like a a wireless um, 400 watt. This is the Godox. Um, It's a a lot cheaper than Profoto and any of the the big names. So I often use a single light um, setup. I don't use a reflector or anything because I quite like the shadow drop it gives. And I've got some Colorama's. There's a short white roll there, which I kind of use. And then my camera is a, I think an ATD. Yeah, an ATD with 18 to 35. And that kind of covers everything. Um, I've got a collection of cameras, but this kind of does all the, all the work for me. And then in, I edit in Photoshop. I tweak everything and sync everything in Lightroom. So if I take 100 product photos, I'll edit one, and then in Lightroom, you can sync that edit to all the other 99. I recommend it to everyone because it's a great workflow and it's amazing to use. Um, quite easy to learn as well. And then from that, I'll take it into Photoshop, and that's when I'll liquefy and neaten all the product photos, tweak the levels a bit more. Um, it's a, it, it can be a bit long-winded, but I feel like it's worth the, the effort put in for the visual outcome afterwards. You mentioned uh, some books about like uh, graphic layouts and things like that at the very beginning. What books were those? Like, what would you recommend? Um, in terms of like print design and like layouts, mm-hmm. I, I don't really recommend any like theory um, based books or like Swiss design books. Uh, it's not really my style, but I would buy like magazines. I really like the layout of um, and just learn by seeing that. So Kaleidoscope is really good. Um, Kaleidoscope magazine, Kaha work in progress has a really good cheap magazine. Yeah, I think it was free at the beginning as well. Um, but visually they're really good. There's also law magazine. Um, I don't know how big they are. They might be hard to get hold of. Um, and the best one is a Singapore based duo or like family. It's got their books here, but like this is their magazine and it's all like, hand done um it's a family based in singapore so they're two children the mum and the dad 
Um, and it's just incredible. Like, I, I don't know how this is going to pick up on camera. But the layout, they hand, like, wear and tear their books. There's just videos of, like, the family putting everything together. Um, so this is a reissue of their trip to, was it Tokyo, I think? Uh, they were meant to go again, but they couldn't because of COVID. So they reissued their first issue, but then added things on top. So the blue stamps are things they've added. Um, it's just crazy. I can't explain it. You're not going to be able to like visually pick up on through video, but it's crazy. So it's called Rubbish Fanzine is the name of the, I guess, the magazine. But they've done ones that come in like bin bags. I've got another one, which is like an Airfix kit, all about chairs. Um, yeah, I could talk about this stuff for days, but yeah, they're amazing. Um, just have a look online and like you'll find good books out of nowhere. I found these guys through Mag Culture, which is a publication um, store here in London, but I think they should be global as well in terms of online shipping. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, one last question. Do you scan like the majority of your textures um, for like your photo layouts and things like that? Yeah, exactly. So I think even on this document, maybe um, I had like a texture on that last slide. It's kind of grainy. Um, I would literally scan in paper. I have a stack of paper, I'll scan in paper, um, often like scan distortion. So if you go on the Greater Goods Instagram, just greater.goods, kind of almost all the photos kind of have a filter in terms of like texture, just to make a fit feel a bit more gritty. Often shooting digital is great, but it feels very sterile. Um, I feel like things are more tactile and have scanned in textures. Um, I keep things a bit vibrant um, usually. So I think textures, you can make yourself incredibly easy. I've got a big folder of like paper textures, ink textures, um, paint textures. Half of them I don't use, but they're, they're there if I need them. And if you drag them into Photoshop, you can tweak them massively. Um, you can use a liquify tool to move them around. You can change levels. Um, so I highly recommend just spending a day building textures just from, on a graphic standpoint. It's just nice to have that archive to go back to um, and dig out things you need. After, say you shot a photo outdoors, you might put a nice little um, paper texture over the top of it and just make it really subtle. Most people won't pick up on it, um, but people will, will like the photo a lot more and they won't really pick up on why it does because the paper texture isn't like a film grain, if that makes sense. It's a different, more muted um dark grain on there thank you oh, no worries i have a question about like your social media um what kind of like routine or habits do you ensure that you follow to be sure that you're always on it and making sure things are going smoothly that's a good question i wish i could answer that but i don't really have a routine i, I have to <laughs> at the beginning there was like a pressure to upload and like share stuff but the fact is i didn't have stuff to share um i can only make so many things i can only I, I didn't like putting things up for the sake of it um maybe it does better like the algorithm will probably prefer that but i just thought you know what like I, i'm only going to share when i have stuff um so there isn't really much routine if i haven't uploaded something in like three weeks then i'll be like okay hey, let me make something or let me just, I don't really do throwbacks, which is kind of one thing I focus on. Um, mm -hmm. Just because as soon as I do that, I feel guilty that I haven't actually made anything in a while or like output something that's new. 
Um, and then if I'm doing that, then I'm not really like pushing myself forward. So there's no real routine. Um, I share stuff when I've made stuff. Um, fortunately at the moment, that's quite a lot. Um, but there is quiet periods. Um, I think it's just kind of knowing, being comfortable with that and not falling to that pressure of having to com- com- almost compete with other people. Like comparison is a big thing. Um, especially in the design sector. I, I look at friends that are way better than me and I'm like, wow, I wish I could reach that standard, but it's not the way I work. It's not what I produce. It's it, we're totally different people. So I've kind of had to like detach myself from that a bit. I use Instagram a lot for like referencing and stuff like that, or like just seeing what's like current or what people are making. But I try to detach from the the pressure of uploading and comparison. It's easier said than done. Um, but once a week uploads probably fine. But if you can't do that, then it doesn't matter. Sweet. Thank you so much. No worries. Hey, I got a question about how did you get noticed or like in communication with Arcteryx and Nike? Like what did you to put that forth or did they just contact you? That's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. I, I've always wondered these things myself. And when I started <laughs> Great Goods, I kind of just like kept on outputting stuff. That was my main thing. I didn't, I rarely reach out to people. I think it's just in my nature. I'm very, um, I guess I'm quite introverted. So I kind of like working on my own. I don't really message loads of people and i just kind of carried on outputting things making things so um i can start with arcteryx so i bought uh, an old arcteryx jacket off facebook it was had paint stains it was really beaten up no one wanted a beaten up jacket apart from me so i bought that and then i kind of just made that nuragi style uh, i put it on instagram um it kind of got a lot of traction from that um and then i've done an interview previously um the guy called Alex he does really good um outdoor focused kind of writing and he knew a few guys at Arcteryx I think he just sent it dm'd it over to them and it kind of does its rounds like I think people can share things without you knowing it um so always be aware of that so wherever you're putting out there um someone in industry doesn't have to comment on it you don't know what's being shared around and that's kind of what happened with Arcteryx it kind of landed in the right spot and then it was ironic. I was putting together a deck or like a little project brief of what I had in mind. It was literally the project I'd done. And then the next day, um, Cooper, Cooper Gill reached out with the, um, with the project. And I was like, this is crazy. Like I was literally putting together a pitch, um, that kind of outlined what we just kind of talked about. Um, and then Nike that came through, um, almost a friend i guess there we were chatting for ages like a year and then he was leaving his job um, and then he passed my contact down to someone else at uh, nike london um, and then we got that going i've been very fortunate I have, i've not actually reached out to any brands they've kind of almost come to me um which has been great to see it means like things are going in the right direction but it's a lot of output um always be making things and show it in a presentable way um i think yeah, that's why I always touch on like the end product not being the end product. There's more after that in terms of like how you're going to put things out there, um, how you want it to be viewed. Is there like a, a graphic way you can translate the idea better? Um, so yeah, I think I went off on one there, but yeah, that's pretty much the, the answer. Oh, that was perfect. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I loved it.
have a quick question. I'm just curious what your thoughts are for the future. I know with upcycling, there's only so much upscaling you can do. Um, do you want to keep going with that? Or is your dream to be like an upcycling director at Arcteryx or something like that? That's a really good question. I think the scale thing is my biggest like enemy. Um, I think for me, I, I enjoy what I do now. Um, I have no long-term plan. Um, greater goods as a whole is redeveloping. So I kind of do, I've done jobs that don't involve art, like upcycling. It was more art direction for brands. Um, we're doing some styling work as well. So it's kind of, it's greater goods is good becoming its own entity. Um, it's not just pure upcycling, but at the heart, the making and the design is there. Um, so I've not set a solid plan of where I want to be or where I want to take it. All I know is that I don't want to be like mass wholesaling product. Um, it just, I don't want to be running a web store. I don't want to be wholesaling product to different stores. I'll do it small and locally every now and then, but it's not the direction I want to go into. Um, I'd rather just make things that are creative and do small projects with different brands. Um, I know a lot of people that do like wholesale upcycling stuff, but there's, often a detachment from just loving creativity and design and making mm -hmm. things. It often becomes just a numbers and business kind of aspect, which isn't really why I'm in this. Um, so yeah, there's no, basically there's no solid like plan, but I kind of let things take its course. I've often planned for a year. So I've done like a yearly plan. You get one email of a project and it throws that out the window, <laughs> um, especially in COVID as well. Like uh, I think being flexible and nimble, was a, a big plus um and i feel like we're still in this like covid rabbit hole so i feel like no long-term plans just for the moment i'm just going to let the the wind take the sail well it sounds like a really fun diverse project yeah i mean that's i, I it started off diverse and it's just developed from wood, woodwork to textiles so next year it might be I don't know, metal work, who knows but i kind of let it take its course if it's going downhill then i'll make sure i sort something out but so far it seems to be okay cool that's awesome Jameis this is so inspiring um to see um what you've been able to do and how you've I mean how you've let your creativity like roll over into that whole sustainability component of of your practice and your passions um so thank you for sharing with us and being so open with what you've done really really I've learned a lot from listening to you and I'm inspired by you and thank you very much for your time. Amazing. Thanks so much. And if anyone wants to message me about any questions or advice, I'm, I'm always there. So just DM me. I'm always happy to answer or like give references or anything like that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Have an awesome rest of your week and uh, thanks for joining along with class today. You guys have an awesome day. Thank you, Jameis. Yes, thanks all. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Highlander Podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.